Okay, let's uh, look in our uh, study again. Uh, we, we stopped at verse 23 of chapter 25, and uh, we pick up at verse 24, uh, which is a repeat. And we know why things are repeated, right? So that we can get the point across. Uh, it's better to... What does verse 24 say? This verse is a repeat of, of chapter 21 and verse 9 of Proverbs. Remember when we talked about that? Okay, so here we are in chapter 24, and he's, repeated in chap he's repeating in chapter 24 what he already said in chapter 21 and it's an identical verse all right and so the, the, the he stresses the unpleasant the unpleasantness of living with a nagging spouse and uh, no, notice he says it's better to live alone in a corner and the, the implication here is no confrontation no argument no debate just go leave move is the implication okay it, it doesn't imply confrontation uh, he says it's much better than you be that you be somewhere else okay and the somewhere else that he talks about is so unpleasant that it highlights the extreme extremity of the current situation okay to go Wherever you, you, it said that you should go, it's more unpleasant than being where you actually are. All right, so it's, it's much better to go wherever that, that is. It, so he's stressing uh, the extremity of the situation and also implying no arguments, no debates, just silent, move away, move up the scene. Okay? Verse 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Okay, and uh, the good news that uh, is implied is the gospel. There's no good news like the gospel. And the gospel is, is as stimulating and thirst quenching as cold water to a thirsty soul. Now, we don't think about the gospel like that. Alright, and as a result, we don't share it as we should. All right, but if we think about how thirsty a person is and how how much of heaven a cold drink of water is, then we would more, we would be less reluctant to share the gospel uh, because we are we are much less reluctant to give uh, a person a cold drink when they need it, right? If we think a person needs a cold drink, they're in a situation that's hot and humid and uh, you know that what well, they could use a cold drink. You're much willing to give it to them. So we need to be just as willing uh, to give the gospel, which is a stimulating thirst quenching as a cold, as a cold glass of water or cold water to a thirsty soul. So to think of the gospel as God's good news from a far country, and that country is heaven. That's how we ought to think about it. You know, whenever uh, we go off somewhere for any long period of time, there's always a longing for home. Always a longing for home. No place like home. That's right. And uh, and so the gospel is God's good news from a far country. It uplifts the soul. 
Verse 26. It's I this is Brenda. That's why you're okay. That's why I say that I want to keep laughing and talking. But then it's a long range. So I said I know it. Okay, here's my eyes again. Just read. Okay, whenever whenever godly people compromise, this is the verse is 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 uh, if the godly give in to the wicked, uh, and uh, that happens uh, because many times the godly don't want to stand up. Uh, so whenever godly people compromise or fail to stand up for what is right, or even give way by giving in to the wicked, it's like muddying a spring or polluting a well. That means that well is no good. You can't use it for anything. It's good for nothing. Okay, and so. Where purity and cleanliness are expected to be found, there's nothing but disappointment. You go to a well and you're expecting to get cool, nice, cool, refreshing water and there's nothing there. You've been longing, waiting to get there, dying to get there. And when you get there, there's nothing. All you get is disappointment. And that's what he's stressing here. If the godly given to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. A fountain and a spring, you expect to get good stuff there, but when you get there, all you get is disappointment. And so setting aside our standards of right and wrong is what it means to compromise with the wicked. You know what is right, you know what is wrong. It's clear as black and white, but we compromise. And uh, in doing so, we set aside our standards. Compromising with the wicked helps nobody. Nobody gets help when we compromise with the wicked. Okay? We all fail. Verse 27. It is not good to eat much honey. Nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Notice he puts in the same category eating too much honey as seeking honor for yourself or seeking too much honor, self glorification. It can be detrimental to our health when we dwell on the honor we deserve. It it will not do anything good for us when we continue to harp on what we deserve. Okay, we know we deserve it, but it doesn't help to continue to hog and nag and carry on about how much, you, how much you deserve. The honor we think should be ours will not be obtained by being angry or bitter or discouraged. And that's what happens when we continue to harp on the honor we deserve. We become angry, become become bitter, and we eventually become discouraged. And so he said it's detrimental. It's as detrimental as eating too much honey. Not good for you at all. It'll make you sick. Same thing happens if we try to seek our own honor. By having an obsession for what we should have gotten, we lose the satisfaction of knowing we have done the best that we could. Okay? We have done all that we could, and yet we continue to become angry and bitter and resentful because we didn't get the honor we deserve. We lose the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, it doesn't matter. I've done the best that I could and God sees that, God honors that, and God knows that. Okay? And so, eating too much honey and seeking honor is put in the same category. Both are, de both are just as detrimental to one's health. 
physical health as well as emotional and psychological health or well-being. And then verse 28. Okay, anyone who has ever who has lived a life without ever learning discipline. Know anybody like that? People grow up and they've never been disciplined. What kind of life do you think they're gonna have? Miserable, always in trouble. Always in trouble. Because they have never learned discipline. Their parents didn't discipline them. And that's why when you hear these fellas talk, go to court and, and they talk about the police beat them. Well, if they'd gotten beaten by their parents, they would have never come to the point in their adult lives where somebody else had to beat them. Okay? We're not saying it's right or wrong, but uh, if they had been disciplined in their earlier lives, they would not be going through what they're going through in their adult lives. So anyone who has lived a life without discipline, without ever learning discipline, is exposed to every kind of temptation. They will fall to everything, every temptation they're confronted with. They're like a city that is unprotected. And any kind of attack can overthrow it. And that's exactly what happens in the lives of many, many people today. Okay, anything that, that comes out at them overthrows them. person comes and says, you know what, uh, man, we need some money to go buy some numbers. Let's go rob that shop on the corner. They fall for it. They go for it. Lock, stock, and barrel. They're not going to say, boy, you know, that's wrong. What if somebody get hurt? You know, what if it gets out of hand? What if we get hurt? What if no one have a gun? You know, we've heard many incidents where people try to hold up stores and they want to shoot them, kill them. Okay, but people don't think about that. And that's what the implication is. A person who has never learned discipline is like a city with unprotected walls. There's nothing to keep them safe. So even though a city wall, even though city walls restricted the inhabitants' movements, people were happy to have them because they provided protection. Without walls, they could have been vulnerable to attacks by a passing group of marauders or invaders. And so self-control limits us to be sure, but it is necessary. Sometimes people don't like self-control. They despise it. But it's essential, it's necessary. An out of control life is open to all sorts of attacks by the enemy. And the, and the devil is the major enemy. So think of self-control as a wall for defense and protection, rather than limitations and restrictions. And then we come to chapter 26, verse 1. Like snow in summer or rain in Paris, honor is How true. So what is he saying? In the same way that snow is definitely out of season in summer, and rain is definitely harmful in harvest time, it is similarly out of place and harmful to honor fools. Anytime you honor a fool, you're looking for trouble. You're headed for trouble. Because it is ethically improper and it only supports them in their foolishness. In other words, you're telling them by honoring them that, hey, you're doing all right, you're fine, you're okay. And what does it do? It, it allows them to continue in their folly. I mean, if you're telling them that everything is okay, it means that whatever they're doing is right, right? They're not doing anything wrong. 
And so you encourage them and you support them. You, you become a co-conspirator in whatever folly, foolish, stupidness or whatever they do. You become a co-conspirator if you honor them. If you tell them what they're doing and their lifestyle and foolishness and stupidity is okay, then you're a co-conspirator. So you have to take the blame for whatever problems and difficulties and troubles that they cause because you honor them. You tell them they're okay. What they're doing, their lifestyle is all right. And we need to be cautious of how we uh, communicate with people who don't exercise wisdom. People who are who foolhardy in their, in their way of life as well as their conversation, their communication. Okay, verse 2. Okay, so we're talking about two, two types of birds here. He says, as both the sparrow flies and the swallow flutters, they both move in different ways. They're both uh, individualistic in, in what they do and how they do it. He says, as both of them go about their daily activities through the air, as both the sparrow flies and the swallow dash through the air, but never land on us in the same way an undeserved curse will never land on the person it is intended for. It always lands on who is not intended for. A person caught in the wrong place, wrong time. Regardless of what the superstition says, even Balaam couldn't curse Israel as hard as he tried. Remember that story? Balaam tried to curse Israel in, in uh, Numbers chapter 23. Uh, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Uh, Numbers 23, 8 says, But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom God has not condemned? And then verse 5 of 23, Deuteronomy 23 says, But the Lord our, our God refused to listen to Balaam. He turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you and that's how it is with us a person may you know people are even though you know sometimes even though Christians people get saved they still have superstition in their minds especially in in, 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 in this country that we live in you know you go to you go to Cat Island all you hear about the spirits and, and, and this ghosts and all kinds of stuff Okay, and so even though sometimes people get saved, they still have these superstitions in their minds that you better watch out for that person, they can put a spell on you. Or they go, what do they, what they, what they call it? Obeah. Obeah. They can put the Obeah on you. When I was at Adventure Learning Center, we found. Yeah, 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 a lot of it. And, and that's what I'm saying. A lot of it is here, and there are times when Christians still believe it. Even though they get saved, they are still hanging on to these superstitions that people could put a spell on you and people could do this to you and people could do the next to you. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mind will work tricks on you. Your mind will work tricks on you. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, you you could almost build it on yourself. Exactly. You psych yourself up to believe it. Right. 
they just said, yeah, and that happens to a lot of people. Someone came to me one day and told me someone had put a curse on me. So years ago, I said, let them put it. I said, they can't touch me. I'm covered in the blood. Now I don't believe in curses. That's I don't right. believe in that. They can touch me if I am right with the Lord. That's right. Now you have to be right with the Lord. If you let yourself get into wickedness, we know what could happen. See, in the part of not being right with the Lord is when you believe that stuff. Okay, when you believe, see, you can't believe that spells and superstitions will work on you and still believe what God tells you in His Word. It just don't work that way. You know what I had my heart doctor tell me a few years back? I got to tell you this. Just take a minute. I was drinking mangosteen, which is a fruit juice out of the Philippines. It's supposed to be very good for your health. It's just a natural fruit. You ever, ever heard of it? No. Mangosteen? And I said, man, listen. Stuff. My test all came out good. I said, Doc, I, um, I drink this mangosteen juice and it's supposed to be good for this, this, this. He said, Well, you think it helps you? That's like some people say it's their medications. Mm. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. Why take a drug? Mm. He said, Well, if you believe it's not going to do anything, See, I, knew what not. He, I knew what he meant. Mm. You have a positive attitude. You're going to do better. Yeah. That's what he meant. And, and uh, Norman Vincent Peale made that popular. Yeah. <laughs> the power of positive thinking. Right. A lot of people fell for that. He had a huge following. Oh, and, and that got a lot of people mixed up. If you think yeah. positive, you think this, then it's going to happen. Six super was that too. Right, right. And so you have a lot of people who, who do that sort of stuff. Uh, and we need to be cautious of that. You see, when the Bible says you have become a new creation in Christ, it means that you leave behind all the superstitions and everything else. Okay, that you used to believe in. Remember now, Paul had that same problem with the people in the Corinthian church. You know, a lot of them was into Baal worship and all that stuff. And when they get so, get, got saved, they brought a lot of that stuff along with them. They didn't want to leave that behind. Okay, and there are a lot of people like that today. They get saved and they have these things that they do in their lives that they don't want to give up. They think it's okay to carry it along with them. It's going to help them out. They, can still, they don't see anything wrong with it. Alright, and so we need to be cautious of that. Uh, superstitions. They have no place in the life of the believer. Bible says you have been born again. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Okay, root all that stuff out. All right, it doesn't work. So if a person tell you they can put a spell on you, they can put an on you can tell them you can do all the stuff you want. Don't work on me. Try it on somebody else. It may work on them, but it won't work on me. Okay, but if you believe it'll work, then you got problems. Okay, verse 3. <laughs> so it tells us exactly what we need to do with the fool, right? It tells us exactly what the fool needs. Okay, in the same way that it is essential, it's essential to use a whip on a horse. You'll never get a horse to move unless you, don't, you, unless you whip them. Alright, you jump on a horse and say, okay, let's go horsey, let's go horsey. You think the horse is going to move? Horse doesn't speak English. Doesn't understand English. Okay, and so he says, what you need to use on a horse is a whip. That's the natural way, the ordinary way, the only way to get a horse to move. So he says, the same way that it is essential, is necessary to use a whip on a horse and a bridle on a donkey. Okay, you need that bridle to get the steer to go in the right direction, right? So, razor sharp correction is the only language a fool appears to understand. That's all they understand. 
What does the verse say? A rod to his back. Okay, they're not going to listen to anything you say. Okay, uh, what is the, what's, the, what's the cliche be used? Um, if you can't hear, you'll feel. That's a, that applies to the fool. Psalm 32 and verse 9 says, Don't be like the senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. And that's in relation to the fool. That was, that psalm is speaking to a fool. Don't be like the horse and the mule who needs a bit and a bridle. And we can actually say that to people who are acting foolishly. Because that's what the Bible says. Okay, if you want to correct them, you want to tell them about the foolishness that they're doing, you can actually quote that to them. Okay, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Brother Andy, I've got a saying about that. I always say, don't argue with a fool or an idiot because they'll bring you down to their level and they'll beat you with experience. Exactly. Also, verse 5. Notice what verse 5 says. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of the Okay, so what do we see here? Avoid foolish arguments. Avoid foolish arguments. Some people look at this verse and say it's a contradiction here. Okay, both these verses seem to contradict, but instead they're actually intentionally indicating the consistency between reason and foolishness. You know, this is what the critics would use and, and say, see there, see there, I tell you the Bible contradicts itself. Okay, because one voice is saying one thing and the other voice is saying the opposite. Okay, and so this is one of those verses that the critics use to, to, to claim that the Bible is full of contradictions. Just one of them. And there's, there are many others that they use. So, whether you answer a fool or not, the fact is, he remains a fool. Okay, it doesn't matter whether you answer them or not, they will stay a fool. Verse 4 says, don't answer a fool. Verse 5 says, make sure you answer a fool. Okay, so what do you do? Okay, what do you do? So how is the apparent contradiction explained? The key is found in the last part of each verse. Notice, the first one, don't answer a fool in a way that makes you a fool by losing your temper or by rude behavior. Okay? So you don't answer a fool in the way that a fool would respond. Okay? If you're going to answer a fool on his level, let me put it this way. If you're going to answer a fool on his level, then it's not worth answering him. Because like Brother David said, it brings you down to his level. Okay? So if your answer to a fool is going to put you on his level, don't answer. That's what he's saying. Okay? But answer a fool by not letting him get let by not letting him get away with his foolishness. Okay, if he if he's talking nonsense that don't make any kind of sense and that's gonna bring harm to somebody else, then you really need to answer them. Okay, you really need to answer them. Reprimand and scold him as his foolishness deserves. Okay, you see sometimes people say some foolishness. You really need to answer them. And that's what he's saying here in these two verses that seem to contradict each other. Reprimand and scold them. 
as his foolishness deserves, he want to play like he want to act the fool, then you treat him like a fool. Is what he's saying. Is what the second verse is saying. He, he, he reprimand and scold him as his foolishness deserves to prevent him from thinking that he's actually smart or wise. Okay. So you, in other words, you burst his bubble. Okay, by answering him. Uh, what you what you're doing by answering is you reprimand him. You're telling him just as as you're telling him how stupid and fool and ignorant he really is. Okay, and that's not gonna lift him up. That's gonna bring him down. Okay, that's gonna cause him to realize that he's not as smart as he think he is. Okay, so there's no contradiction here. So it's a matter of your judgment. Okay, it's basically a judgment call for us. The option a wise person has depends on what they see the fool needs most. Whatever you think the fool needs most is how it will determine how you respond to them. Some fools are obviously in a mood, are in no mood to listen. And they don't deserve to be answered. And whoever tries to answer them will end up stooping to their level. In certain situations common sense says in order to expose a fool's pride and foolishness, it's better to answer them. Okay, so it's not a contradiction there. You could do either one. It depends on the situation that you see. It depends on the judgment call you make. All right? Verse 6. Anybody ever do that? You know a person who have no sense, like they say. Okay? You know a person has been known for behaving like they don't have no sense. And yet still you want to give them a message to carry, an important message at that, to carry to somebody. Now who is really the fool? You. Exactly. Okay, if you know the kind of person that they are, why entrust them with something that is so important and so valuable? Trusting the fool to carry a message is like cutting off your leg or drinking poison. That's how bad it is. Okay, is that something that we would ever do? It's like working against your own best interests. All the fool will bring you is nothing but regret. Because he won't deliver the message properly in the first place. Alright, and you may you may find yourself in a greater dilemma when you find out from the person the message went to what the message actually was that they got from you because it wouldn't have been the same message that you sent. Okay, so again, it tells us how we are to entrust what is important to those persons who don't have no kind of sense. Verse 7. A proverb is as useless to a fool because they don't know when where or how to apply it. You can give them a proverb, tell them what a proverb, but it doesn't mean anything to them. It's like a paralyzed limb. And so, uh, for us, a proverb quoted thoughtlessly turns out to be as useless as a paralyzed body part, especially if there's no sense of wisdom even after memorizing it. So a fool memorizes the proverb, doesn't make any sense to him. Doesn't mean anything. God will respond and pour out his heart to us only if we want to learn from him. Because those who want to be wise, 
Those who want to be wise have a receptive attitude needed to make the most of the wise words of God's Proverbs. Want to be wise? Then you have the attitude to learn what God wants us to, to know in order to be wise. And then verse 8. Okay, uh, when you put a, a stone in a sling, uh, do you tie it? Why not? Huh? You need to fly when you let go. You need to fly, you need, you need to go. Okay, uh, so he's saying, uh, honoring the fool is as foolish as tying a stone in a slingshot. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, and so that's what a fool do, does. Honoring a fool is as stupid as tying a, tying a stone in a slingshot. It's ridiculous because it doesn't make any kind of sense at all. So here again, we have another verse that talks about honoring a fool. Why? Because people do it all the time. People are always doing things that, that honor fools and make fools think that they are not foolish. And we need to be careful of that. We wonder why we get so much fool and stupid people around? Because we don't say anything about the foolishness and the stupidity that they do. And when we don't say anything, we give them the impression, we send a message that, oh, you're okay, you're fine. So they continue to do it. And so again, we are continually admonished not to honor fools. You say, well, I ain't getting in that, that ain't my business. Well, if you don't get involved, you are, by not saying anything to a fool, you're actually honoring them. By not correcting them, you're honoring them. It goes right back to those two verses. Answer a fool, don't answer a fool. Evaluate the situation. One thing we don't want to do in our day and time is honor fools in their stupidity. Okay, verse 9. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Okay, this is something that you don't want to put in the hand of a drunken person. In the same way that thorns in the possession of a drunken of a drunkard can be painful and unsafe to himself and others. Why? Because people who are under the influence of alcohol don't have any kind of control. They don't even have any sense of equilibrium. They can't even stand up straight. Okay, so why would you put thorns in the hands of a drunken person? You know no good is gonna come out of that, right? Nothing, absolutely nothing. He's gonna hurt himself and he's going to hurt anybody else he comes in contact with. And so he says, the proverb in the mouth of a fool is just like that. Okay? Fool will not do anything with it. It's harmful to himself. So a proverb in the mouth of a fool can be harmful to that fool. It can be vague and wrongly applied. Okay? Totally out of context is how it will be applied. He might use it to justify, again, to justify his folly, his foolishness, his stupidity, and draw false conclusions concerning himself and other people. So we see how dangerous it is. Okay, normally the first pick, first prick of a thorn alerts us that that's something you don't want to bother with, right? So we remove the thorn before it damages us. A drunk person, however, may not feel the thorn. Why? Because of the alcohol that, that, that got them influenced. And so it will work in a way it will work its way into his, into his flesh. He doesn't feel it. Remember that proverb we talked about, but drunk man who says, I got beaten, didn't feel it? Same thing he's talking about here. Similarly, a fool may not feel the sting of a proverb because he does not see how it applies to his life. 
Instead of taking its point to heart, a fool will apply it to his church, his employer, his spouse, or whoever he is rebelling against. In other words, you're not talking to me, you're talking to somebody else, even though it literally actually applies to them. Okay, ever, ever, ever seen that experience? People do that in church. The preacher's preaching, and they know the messages for them, and they don't think, but when you're talking to me, you're talking to so and so and so. Okay, the fool responds the same way. The next time you find yourself saying so and so should really pay attention to that, stop and think and ask yourself, is this message for me? That's what the fool does. The fool doesn't do that. The fool always thinks that it's for somebody else. And with that, we can stop because time is gone. Any other thoughts? We get the message, right? A lot of stuff here at this, this time about honoring fools and what we should and should not do that will show honor the fools. And we need to take note of that because sometimes we are uh, unintentional supporters of what the foolish do. Father, we give you thanks and praise once again for the opportunity to hear from you. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may take what we hear and apply it to our lives in the various situations and circumstances that we will encounter in our lives because we know that your word never returns to you void. And so we know at some point in our lives we can have an opportunity to apply what we've heard here today. Help us to be mindful of it and give us the determination to do what needs to be done. We pray our blessed benediction now as we separate. We pray for the service to follow and all those who will be participating and ministering. Continue to get glory for yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.